This morning we're in John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter number 3. And uh, I'm excited to be here talking today about the love of Christmas. The love of Christmas. And I'm so thankful for Ross filling in. I'm thankful that I can be away and know that, man, it's in good hands. And so I'm grateful to God for Ross and for him filling in last week talking about hope. And uh, today uh, we're going to be on the love of Christmas. We were actually moving uh, my oldest son and his wife wife on Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving Day, we actually had uh, luncheon at Bucky's on the interstate and uh, with the family, made a memory. So uh, I'm excited again to be back here and excited for what God is going to do this morning, just trying to capture this topic of his great love for us. I heard a story uh, about a teacher that was teaching on the circulatory system, a science teacher, and, and they were talking about how blood circulates through the body and the science teacher uh, stood on his head right there in the middle of the room and said, look, if I, if I stand on my head, all of the blood rushes down to my face and it turns red. And then he asked the question, why is it that when we stand upright, all of the blood doesn't flow down to my feet? And uh, somebody stood up and said, well, that's because your feet ain't empty. And uh, <laughs> so... When you're talking about the circulatory system, there was an observation that was made, and, uh, but when, when they were talking about this circulatory system, although there was an observation made, the conclusion was obviously wrong. And so when we talk about love, this topic of love, love is a topic that's intriguing to most people when you're talking about the subject of love. Much has been written on the subject of love. Unfortunately, oftentimes the way we address this subject is not of sincere and true love as God says love ought to be. Rather, what we call lust oftentimes we label as love. And this morning it's my prayer that we would be able to understand what love really is all about. And uh, it's interesting because, again, when you're talking about all the forms of entertainment and how intrigued people are, I mean, I mean you think about movies and books, how the theme is, is kind of wrapped up in there, this love theme. And I think there's a reason for that. I, I believe that the reason that, that, that most of us are intrigued by the subject of love and why it kind of resonates with us is because we're created in the image of God. We, you and I, people have been created in the image of God. And God, by his very nature, God is love. And so it's something that's intriguing to all of us. I believe every heart is longing for love. In fact, if you ever met somebody, sometimes along the way, there are exceptions to that rule. Most people want to be loved, want to love. There, 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 there's this there's this intrinsic value that we possess, this intrinsic characteristic of love. And uh, when you meet somebody that just doesn't, you ever met somebody that, that just really is hard to love, they just don't want to receive love? And, 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 and just know this, most of the time, if that's true, if there's an exception to the rule, most of the time, they've been hurt along the way and they're guarding their hearts. And they really do need love. And so God help us to love People, as we have been loved, because we have been loved with an everlasting love. The love of Christmas, when you're talking about this manger, even in the manger, there was such great love displayed. You're talking about Joseph and Mary. What crazy love Joseph had for Mary and guarding her when her reputation was on the line and sticking by her side and walking with her. What great love was displayed by Joseph? What great love was there by Mary as she 
walked with Joseph and, and a mother's love. There's no greater love than a mother's love. And, and the Bible says that Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ and Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes and Mary lied him in a manger. What great love was there on display in the manger scene? But I'm telling you, the one that we didn't see is how much God loves you and me. And every time we see a manger scene, you ought to be reminded that, man, there's a father in heaven that knows me like nobody else. He knows everything about me. He knows all of my strengths. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my mistakes. And yet he loves me with an everlasting and an unconditional love. This morning, it's my prayer that if you don't hear anything else, you do know that God Almighty loves you more than you'll ever, ever imagine. The Bible says that there was a mission, that God went out on a mission. That's what Christmas is all about. There was a mission of the Father, the mission of the Savior, and it's given to us in John chapter 3, verses 16. It was read just a moment ago, and uh, one of the most familiar verses of Scripture, the Bible says this, For God so loved the world, you and me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son to the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. When you're talking about John 3, 16 and John 3, 17, I would encourage you this morning, although most of us in the building have probably memorized that scripture. And unfortunately, when we memorize scripture, that's a great thing. It's great to hide God's word in our heart. We're commanded to do so. But, but be careful. Be careful that these truths that we learned as little children don't become just uh, old news. That we're still intrigued, that we're still overwhelmed with a sense of awe. For God so loved me. I mean, don't just memorize it, but meditate on it. For God so loved, so loved the world. I mean, if we could climb Jacob's ladder, if we could climb Jacob's ladder and we could see the throne with Jesus Christ on, and if we can walk through the corridors of time and go back and see the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, only then, only then could we even begin to catch a little bitty glimpse of how much God loves you and God loves me. He loves us so much, and yet so many times, if we're not careful, we can feel unlovable. You ever been there? I'm, I'm saying your feelings. You ever been where you feel like, man, I'm just, because I don't know that he can love me anymore. Hey, do you know what? There has never been a time before that God has loved you any more than he loves you right now. There, there, there will never be a time, never has been, never will be a time when you are not loved with an everlasting Love. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31, verse number 3, Jeremiah 31, and in verse number 3, the Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 in the New Testament, for God demonstrated his great love for you and for me, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a crazy display of love for you and for me. His love is unconditional and it's eternal. Unconditional meaning there's nothing I do to merit God's love. And that's where we struggle sometimes because we feel like, man, I need to earn his love or gain his love. There's nothing you can do to gain any more love than he loves you with right now. He loves you with an everlasting, unconditional 
kind of love. He knows you and he loves you such that while we were still sinners, he died for us, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. When you're talking about Jesus Christ and the mission that he was on, that's recorded in John chapter 3 and verse number 16. What we must understand is that Jesus Christ wasn't simply murdered, nor was he martyred, but rather he willingly laid down his life for you and for me. It wasn't taken from him. He laid it down for you and for me. And there's a huge difference between being murdered and being martyred and a man that says, man, I will lay down my life for them because I desire intimacy with these people and I can't have it with sin. And so he laid down his life for you and he laid down his life for me. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says it like this. John 10 Verse 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. When you're talking about how much he loves you and how much he loves me, it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was his love for you and for me, his desire for intimacy with us. He laid down his life for us. Why did he do that? The Bible is so clear. The reason he did it is because all have sinned. Romans 3, 23. We have a problem. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every last person in here. We were born with a sinful nature. That's why we sin. And our sin separates us from a holy God. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ loves you and he loves me and he desires intimacy with us and so there was no other way for without the shedding of blood there could be no forgiveness of sins so he came and he laid down his life why because he desires an intimate relationship with you and with me he doesn't want to just be fire insurance Uh, question here's a question if there were no hell Would you still want Jesus? Do you love him? He loves you. He desires relation with you. He's more than fire insurance. It's relational. It's not a religion. It's relationship. If you've never called on his name, I encourage you to call on his name. The Bible says whoever believes in him, that whoever, there's an open invitation to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When Jesus Christ laid down his life, he laid down his life so that whosoever shall call on his name. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. He's, he's the payment, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. I am so thankful that he loves us. He paid the price that if we believe in him, we shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. We are all going to end up in one of two places. There are no other options. One of two places. We will either be spending an eternity with God Almighty in heaven or an eternity separated from him because of our sin in a place called hell. He never sent anybody to hell. 
You chose it. You chose it. If you've never called on his name and surrendered your life to him and called on his name to be saved, I want to encourage you today, experience his love. He loves you with an everlasting love. How in the world does that work? What, does, what do I have to do? What do I have to do with so great a love as Jesus Christ? Well, <clears throat> this passage of scripture says here's what you need to do. Beginning in verse number one, follow along with me. John chapter three, it leads up into... John 3, 16 and 17. The Bible says this, beginning in John chapter 3, verse number 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered in verse number five, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? So Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, whether we, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him, will in him have eternal life. And this morning, just talking about the method of salvation. In other words, he says, here's how we make this message personal. Here's how we make this practical. It's not just an intellectual ascent, but man, there's something that has to happen. You must, you must be born again. And so Jesus Christ has this conversation in the night with this guy named Nicodemus. And I'm telling you, if ever, if ever, ever, ever there were a person that you could say, well, they've got to be going to heaven because of it would be Nicodemus. I mean, he's such a good guy on the outside. I mean, everything about him just says, man, he's a lover of God Almighty. And yet, and yet Jesus Christ was saying, hey, listen, Nicodemus, it's not about your religion. It's about a relationship. And no matter who you are, no matter who your mama is and who your daddy is, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the Spirit. You've been born one time, but you better be born twice if you think you're going to heaven. If you haven't been born again, you will never, never enter the kingdom of God. So when you're talking about Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a guy that you look at, and he was a wealthy fellow. In fact, he was a guy that people would look at and respect him just because of the clothes he wore and the car he drove. He was a good-looking fellow. I don't know about good-looking. He had a lot of stuff. But he was also a guy that was very much religious. When you're talking about 
who he was associated with. He was a Pharisee. And when you're talking about the Pharisees of the Old Covenant, when you're talking about the Pharisees in the nation of Israel, there were only, there were only around, uh, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, there was only around 6,000 Pharisees that existed. So 6,000 people out of over a million people are, are, are Pharisees. In other words, they're religious zealots. They're religious people that are, that are trying to attain the law. The standards, man-made standards. And so when you looked at his life, you'd say, good night. Not only that, but he was a part of the Sanhedrin. When you're talking about the Sanhedrin, there was like, a, like the uh, 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 Supreme Court. They, he, was, he was on basically the Supreme Court of the nation of Israel, about 70 of them. So he was respected. He knew, he knew what the law said. He knew what it said. And he was religious. And he tried to attain it. But yet... Jesus said, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. It doesn't matter if your name's on the roll. It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist. It doesn't matter if you're a Presbyterian or a Methodist or whatever your religious affiliation is. And no matter what role your name might be written on, if you've never been born again, you're not saved. You will go to hell one day. So he says, hey, you got to be born again. And so Nicodemus is like, how in the world does that work? I can't, I can't possibly enter into my mother's womb. How does that work? And so Jesus Christ begins to explain how exactly that works. What does it mean to be born again? How does that work? Well, he says, number one, you got to be born again. You got to be born from above. You got to be born of the spirit, not just of the flesh. It's mandatory. It's a picture when you're talking about a birth. When you're talking about a birth, he's explaining what it means to be saved. And when you're talking about a birth, a birth is a one-time event. There's several truths about a birth that we must understand if we're going to understand what it means to truly be saved. To be saved means this. I was born, right? I was born, obviously. Look at me. I was born. And I was born, can I tell you something? I was born on August the 23rd, 1968. That's 53, you don't have to do the math. <laughs> I think, I'm not even sure anymore. You would say, if I stood here and said I was born August 23rd, 1968, but then I got born on August the 16th on 1972, but then again, I was born on... Uh, December the 1st of 1983. Oh, but then I got born on... <laughs> you'd say, there's something really wrong with this guy. And so it is with the one that says, man, I've been born again a thousand times over. Well, no, it's, it's it, a birth. A new birth is a one-time event. When you got born again, there was something that happened. You know what happens to you when you get saved? When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God begins to blow. The winds of God, we're going to talk about that. He knocks on the door of the heart, and then you receive him. And once I've received him, I'll never lose that salvation. In other words, man, I, I was born again. I was born again. For me, I was born again when I was actually going into the ninth grade, between my eighth and ninth grade year, I was at summer camp, and I knew the word of God, I knew the gospel, I could share the gospel, but yet the Holy Spirit of God began to blow in my heart, and the Holy Spirit of God spoke into my life, and he called me by my name, and I got saved, born again. One time. When you're talking about a birth, birthing process, he says you gotta be born again. When you're talking about the birthing process, the birthing process brought great pain. Great pain. To your mother. I mean, I don't know because I'm not one, but I'm just telling you it brought great pain to a mother, and so it does, so it does to 
the Lord Jesus Christ. It took the cross to save you. It took the cross so that you might be born again. And he did, in fact, pay the price for you and for me. When you're talking about being born again, there's some good stuff about being born. One of the good things about being born is that, hey, when I got born, I didn't have a past. I mean, nobody, nobody can go down there to the birthing center and say, hey, I remember when... <laughs> And do you know that when you get born again, God takes care of the past for you. It's a new beginning. It's a new beginning. The Bible says over in Psalm 103, verse number 12, Psalm 103 and in verse number 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah chapter number 1 and verse number 18. Isaiah 1 and verse number 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Can I just ask a serious question this morning? I just wonder if there's anybody here that would say, man, I would love to have a new beginning today. I need a new beginning. I would encourage you to call on his name this morning. There's no past. Not only is there no past, when you get born, you receive a new nature. A new nature. He changes us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17, it's not about the changes I do for myself, but if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. My nature got changed. He changes me from the inside out. He does the work. And he who began a great work in you and in me is faithful, and he will complete it in us. He gives us a new nature, and I'm thankful today to be born again. But how in the world does it work? And so he describes in verse number 8, after talking about being born, he says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so he says, you know, it, it, it's, it's what happens to us. It happens spiritually, and it's like the wind. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit of God and what the Holy Spirit does in our life when we get saved. And he says it's like the wind. And so if you think about the wind, there's a lot of characteristics about the wind when you're talking about the Holy Spirit and what happens when we get saved. The, the wind is uncontrollable. I mean, you don't determine which direction the wind's going to blow. It's, it's uncontrollable. So if, in fact, I would even go so far as to say this. If you ever have somebody that, that, that feels like I'm going to wad up the Holy Spirit of God and throw it on you, that's a bunch of foolishness. I mean, that's dumb, uncontrollable. You can't, you can't control the Spirit. This is like the wind. You can't control it. Not only can you not control it, you, you can't see it. You can't see it. You know what's incredible to me is, is, is you can be in a room this size right here. And, and I remember when I got saved, man, the Holy Spirit of God was breathing and, and was beating on my heart's door, man. He was, he was speaking to me. And, and, and it was so evident in my life. And I thought, man, does everybody feel what I'm feeling right now? And the fact of the matter is what's so interesting is you can be in a room this size. And yet God might have it just for you today. The Holy Spirit knocking and speaking and drawing. You don't control it and you can't see it. That's why you respond when he moves. Because I don't determine when he's going to move. We don't determine that. It's like the wind. It's unpredictable. It's unpredictable. You don't go outside and say, okay, you're going to blow. It either happens or it doesn't. And that's 
how God works. I mean, John 6, 44, the Bible says in John 6, 44, nobody, no, nobody can come to me, Jesus said. Nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me has drawn him. How does he draw us? By his Holy Spirit blowing like the wind. And that's what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about. He says, man, it's, it's, it's like the wind. And because it's not controllable, hey, listen, you don't determine when he will blow. And that's why when he does, there should be a sense of urgency to respond. He says it's like the wind. Nicodemus, in verse number 9, how can these things be? And Jesus said, man, you're a teacher and you don't understand these things? Good night. Who are you? Not he says, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, and you don't accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You know what's interesting to me? I was reading this passage of Scripture, and this is just a side note. It's just a side note. But I'll tell you what's interesting to me is when Scripture is so crystal clear, black and white, nobody's been to the Heavenly Father except for the Son, Jesus Christ. And yet somebody writes a book about a story and professing Christians go and buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. He must have been on the throne of God because he said so. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Y'all all right? <laughs> it's not recent. That was a while back. But it happens occasionally. He says it's, it's, it's like the wind. And then he goes on and he uses another illustration in verse number 14 and 15. He says, as Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. It's not a hope so, but a no so. And, and, and he uses this other illustration. It's an interesting illustration because he says, man, it's, it, it, it's, it's like when Moses lifted up this serpent. What is that about? If you go back and read, you can go back and read the story in Numbers. And in Numbers chapter number 21, you'll read a story where the nation of Israel, they were traveling. And, and, and God gave them a crazy, crazy victory. You know, God was doing a crazy work in them, through them, around them, above them, and below them. God was at work in great ways. I mean, they just defeated the nation of Canaan. But the Bible says they started complaining and they started to loathe, to loathe the food that God provided. It's just not good enough. And so God sent fiery serpents into the camp. God sent serpents, snakes. And these snakes began to slither among the nation of Israel. And they began to bite the people of Israel. And they inflicted them with a lethal dose. And in fact, it was, it was like hot fire burning in their system. And there was no cure for it. They were dying. The nation of Israel were dying as they were getting inflicted by these serpents that were slithering in the camp. And they cried out and said, we've sinned against God. And Moses went to the Father and said, God, we need help. We need help. And so God Almighty said, here's the answer. You... you Make a bronze servant and you put it on a stick. And if anybody will look, then they can live. If anybody will look, here's the answer. Here's the healing. I will provide it for you by my grace. Not that they deserve it, but by my grace, here's the answer. It's the only answer. 
And so Moses put a serpent on a stick, a bronze serpent. He brought it out to the people and said, if you look, then you'll live. If you'll just look by faith, then you can live. And some did, some would look, and some would live. And I imagine there's so many stories that could be told if we could go back and listen to what happened in the camp in the nation of Israel that day as perhaps a little child at 12 or 13 year old was inflicted and he was burning and he'd heard that, man, if I just look, then he'll heal me. And he went out and he experienced great healing. And back at his house, he knew that his mama had been bitten and his daddy had been bitten. And they were laying, dying in the house. And the 12-year-old would go back home and say, Mama, if you'll just go look, you can live. And I can imagine there were some mamas that sat there and said, Oh, that's just child talk. That's just, that's just not going to happen. And she would lay there and die. And he would tell his father and his dad would say, Man, I taught you better than that. That's just foolishness. You can't get healed by looking and living. And he would lay there and die. Maybe he went and told a sister and said, man, if you go look, you can live. And she went and looked. And it was a healing. So that's how it is to be born again. If you'll just look to Jesus Christ, you can live. You're saved by grace. There's only one way to be saved, and it's through Jesus Christ. He loves you and desires an intimate relationship with you. It's not just fire insurance. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be your joy, your peace, your hope, your life. He wants you. Has there ever been a time when you've looked and experienced His amazing grace and His love? There's a gift. This Christmas under the Christmas tree with your name on it. And it's his love for you. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith. It's not by our works. So that you could go around and say, man, I attained it. I did something. There's nothing you can do. He did it. He paid the price for you completely, completely. It's yours to open. It's yours to receive. If you look, then you can live. He loves you. He loves you. Won't you call on his name today? This Christmas season, thankful that he loves us. But let me ask my brothers and sisters something. Maybe you're here this morning and you have looked and you have life and you have tasted the goodness of God. But you know what? If we're not careful... Oh, there's never been a time before, nor will there ever be. I've already said that. That he'll love you any less than he does now. But brothers and sisters, sometimes we love him less than we all. He writes the church in the book of Revelation. He says, you know, there's a problem with some people. They've lost their first love. And this Christmas season, I'm just asking you the question. Do you love him? Do you love him like you did in the beginning? It says, what happens to us is we get busy. And you can believe the right things, you can do the right things, but do you realize you can fall out of love? He says, hey, if that's happened to you, if that's happened to you, he gives an answer in the book of Revelation. He says, number one, repent. God, I don't love you like I should. <laughs> Thank you for 
not given up on me, but I've sinned against you. He says, repent. Remember where, from where you've fallen. What do you mean remember? Go back on your spiritual journey this Christmas season. Let, let, let the manger be the springboard to take you back to your roots, to take you back to those people that invested in your life, to take you back to when the Holy Spirit of God took the Word of God and He saved you. <clears throat> and He says, and do those things you did in the beginning. What'd you do in the beginning? Man, I'll tell you what I did in the beginning. Man, I was so excited. I wanted to read God's Word. I got into God's Word. They gave me at the church a green KJV. <laughs> I still remember that thing. And I wanted to read his word, and I got into his word, and I was reading it as a kid. But I didn't want to keep it to myself. And so I was reading it to everybody. I've shared this story before. I was reading to my little brother. I was reading to his buddy. Get him out there in the forward in the backyard. I was reading God's word. I want you to know. I wanted my dog to know. I would lay under the house with my dog and read to him from God's word. Joshua. It's true. Couldn't wait to gather with the people of God. Couldn't wait to worship. Wanted to be an encourager. The beginnings. And if we're not careful, we can get over it. I'm just asking the question. Do you love him like you ought? Because he sure loves you. Desires relation with you. Let me go back one more time. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've been born again? If not, man, I pray to God that the spirit blow, the wind blows, and that you receive him today. Would you do me a favor this morning? Join me for a time of prayer. We're going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to sing a song. <clears throat> and after the song, I'll be down front. Jeff will be down front. Ross will be. We'll have people down front that will pray with you, talk with you. We want to be here for you this morning. But oh, today, if the Spirit blows, don't let Him pass you by. You must be born again. Father, I thank you for the day. God, I thank you for loving us like you do. God, even saying those words, I, I, I know that because of my limitations, I, I can't even begin to grasp how deep, how wide. Is your love? God, I want to love like you love. I want to love others like you love me unconditionally and eternally help me God I pray today for each one here I'm thankful that you are a God that will meet us right where we are and today God if there are those that have never been born again please please 
knock. Draw them. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. God, I pray today that our love wouldn't grow cold towards you. And Father, if it has, I'm asking if you would rekindle the flame. Oh, help us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. And thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.